0: Okay, you may or may not know this, uh, a couple of things here. So first, the, the church has a calendar year that it goes by, which is different than the sort of civic calendar that we go by. You know, our civic calendar begins on January 1st, and it finishes on December 31st, and then the next January 1st is a new year. Uh, the church calendar, the liturgical calendar, uh, it starts on the first Sunday of Advent, and it goes through all the way up to the next Advent. So uh, whenever the first Sunday of Advent comes, there's a new church year. And that's important because we have a cycle of readings that we go through, a three-year cycle of readings that we go through that are very creatively named year A, year B, and year C. And uh, whenever whenever these cycles come up, they're, they're based off of the primary gospel that is read from, mostly during ordinary time when the church where or when the priest wears green. So year A focuses on the gospel of Matthew, year B focuses on Mark, and year C focuses on Luke, and then John gets mingled in there with some of the special seasons. Anyway, so we are towards the end of our liturgical year in this year. And, and of course, hopefully you, you know that we've been reading from the Gospel of Matthew uh, for most of the year. With I guess the, this year there was an exception during October when we did our Eucharistic series and, and there were different gospel passages. But but generally speaking, we read mostly from the Gospel of Matthew and, and we're just about done to it, done with it. So as, as we get closer to the end of the church year, we also get closer to the end of the gospels. So each of the gospels, actually all three of them, Uh, Towards the end, Jesus starts speaking in a different kind of way. He starts speaking in a way that's talking about the end of all things. Uh, And not just the end of all things, but most specifically, he's speaking about when he comes, when he's going to return to earth. So he talks about this, how, how, of course, he's with them now, but he's not always going to be with them in the way that he was with them. He's going to eventually die, rise from the dead, and then ascend up into heaven, of course. But then he says, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, something is going to happen. And so he's telling them uh, about this so that they can be well-prepared because he talks about how he's going to judge everybody. And this, this is maybe a little bit of an uncomfortable thing for some of us to hear because maybe we were taught and raised in a particular way that, that we, don't, we don't really see Jesus as being a judge. We don't, we don't see him as being someone who's going to judge either favorably or unfavorably. But what, what's really important to know is like the, Jesus himself speaks about this in this way. A, a perfect example actually comes in our gospel passage that, that we hear about uh, with these, these, these virgins who are preparing to greet the bridegroom. And of course, the bridegroom in the parable is Jesus. And, and what? Some of them, they don't have enough oil. And so they're judged unfavorably. They're locked out of the wedding feast, which is heaven. And they're locked out forever because they knock and they say, open the door. And he just says to them, I do not know you. And then there are others who are judged favorably. And again, so that this is like another thing that, that we think about this. Okay, maybe maybe I can get on board with the reality that Jesus is gonna judge everybody, the living and the dead. Maybe I can get on board with that. It's like, okay, well, the Bible says this, but but our general disposition, so again, you know I speak in generalities, this may or may not apply to you. But our general disposition is that as long as I'm a decent person, I'm gonna go to heaven. And and basically it's it's like most people go to heaven and you know, only people like like Hitler, go to hell. But generally speaking, you know, as long as I'm a pretty good person, I've got a pretty good shot. I, I kind of deserve it. What's fascinating, though, is, is that Jesus, he doesn't really speak like that. In fact, he speaks, I mean, in the parable, just as an example, half of them don't get into heaven. Half of them miss out. And the point of that isn't to to say that, you know, only half of us are going to get to heaven or or half will not or whatever. Like, that's not the point. In fact, in other points of scripture, it seems like Jesus actually talks about a majority of people not getting to heaven. So we're not here to lay out numbers for us, but to to look at the reality of, okay, well, what? Jesus is going to judge people. And what are the standards that he's going to judge people by? His standards. And that according to his standards... Some people are going to heaven and some people are going to be judged and sent into hell. And so we're actually hearing for this weekend as well as next weekend and the weekend after that, we're hearing about the judgment that Jesus is going to deliver. Why? Because he talks about it. We need to talk about it. And the good news actually is that he lays out for us something of what we could call a study guide for this great big test that we're all going to meet either when he comes again or perhaps at our death if we die before he comes again. And so we need to talk about this because it's like, okay, well, obviously, I want to be one of the wise virgins. Obviously, I want to be one of the people who are welcomed into the joy of their master, as we're going to hear next week and the week after. I want to be one of those people who hears the phrase from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to, I don't want to hear the phrase, I do not know you. Right? So, so we got to talk about like, what exactly does this look like? And again, I know that this might be a little uncomfortable for some of us because we just don't see Jesus in that way. And what's more, we, maybe some of us have never even considered the prospect that it's possible that we could be excluded from the kingdom. You know, I, th- I think about this, about how we're, we're so strong in our, in our current culture about not judging people, right? It, it would be like if, if uh, you had a family member who died and I just came up to you and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that, you know, Aunt Betty went to hell, You'd be like, wait a minute, don't, don't judge her. It's not your job to judge, right? And you're, you're right about that, actually. But think about this, how many times when somebody dies, the first thing we hear is, well, at least he's in a better place now. It's like, you told me not to judge, what are you doing right now? You're judging as well. Yes, you're judging in a different way, but you're making a judgment. And whose judgment, whose standards are you judging by? Probably your own. Right. This is this is something that we got to we have to understand who is the judge. It is Jesus. And therefore, who sets the standard of the judgment? It is Jesus. And sometimes that standard is difficult. In fact, this this very parable for me, as I was reflecting on it just this morning and, and all week. But but this morning, like something hit me in a new kind of way of just like, wait a minute. Like they were excluded from the kingdom over a little bit of oil. Like they had to miss out on the wedding feast because they just they didn't have enough oil for their lambs? That to me seems like a little harsh. It seems difficult. Like, really, Jesus? Like, a little bit of oil? And, and in some ways, it's okay for us to reflect on that. It's okay for us to be a little bit confused about it. And, and even maybe in some ways, it's okay for us to be a little frustrated. Like, I can't believe Jesus would judge according to these standards. Like, that's not how I would judge. And it's okay for us to say that as long as... At the end of our little frustration session, we have to acknowledge, like, okay, but, but I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. He has a perspective that maybe I don't share, and, and maybe I don't always understand his perspective. Maybe I don't always agree with his perspective, but, but he's the judge and not me. And so it's okay if I don't see it. It's okay if I'm even a little frustrated by it, but, but it's not okay if I insist that he changes because he's the judge and I'm not. Now, if I want to disagree with his judgment, well, okay, I have to deal with that. And ultimately, what does that mean? It means I'm probably walking away from him, and that's also part of his judgment. But, but at the same time, the reality is that he is the judge. And so, so for me then, in my sort of wrestling this morning, it's like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know that I see this, but whatever, you, you laid out the parable, you're the one who told the story, and so the oil makes all the difference. And so there's this question then of like, what is the oil? If the oil makes all the difference, then I want to make sure that I have enough of whatever this oil is so that when it comes time for me to go out and meet the bridegroom, I'm not having to run off and find some oil on an emergency thing so that I end up locked out of the kingdom forever. I want to make sure that I'm one of these wise virgins. Which, which of course we, we heard about wisdom in our first reading, talking about the resplendent and unfading nature of wisdom, about how she is readily perceived by those who love her and found by those who seek her. She hastens, she's, she's quick to make herself known for those who are desiring of her. The one who keeps vigil, what? Shall quickly be free from care. This is, this is wisdom, and as, as if that wasn't enough uh, to desire it, all the more then do we see that the wise one is the one who has enough oil in his or her jug. Now, what's, what's additionally frustrating is this, that Jesus, if we were to ask him, like, Jesus, what is the oil? Well, in the parable, he doesn't actually tell us, right? So he doesn't tell us what the oil is. He doesn't tell us really what makes the difference. So it's like, what? You can't leave me hanging like that. Like, this doesn't, what's the deal? At the same time, I think he gives a pretty strong clue And that pretty strong clue is this. It comes at the end, which we've already looked at, where it says, the other virgins came and they said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. So for me, I saw that Lord, Lord, and I remembered that I've read this in other parts of the gospel. And so I did just a quick little Google search. How many times is this simple little phrase, this two-word phrase in the gospels, Lord, Lord, addressing the Lord? It's in the gospels four times. This is one of them, of course. The other three times are in Matthew chapter seven, verse 21, Matthew chapter seven, verse 22. So they're connected to each other. And then in the gospel of Luke chapter six, verse 46. So for me, it's like, okay, well, this is only in the gospels, like less than a handful of times. So it's easy enough to just look them up and see if Jesus is giving a hint here that can lead to further instruction down the road. So in fact, we can do this. So we can look to Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23 ultimately. So Matthew chapter seven is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is when Jesus gets up, he's gathering his disciples and he starts preaching to them, beginning with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure of heart, all the, all the Beatitudes. And then from there he goes on and he preaches this sermon that that, is is fairly long, it's not quite as long as my sermons are, but it's, it's fairly long, and he preaches about what it means to be one of his disciples. And toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, not everyone who calls me their Lord is gonna be in heaven, but only those who what? Who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And, and of course, we, we know this. We, we know plenty of people who what? Who, who claim that Jesus is their Lord, but their actions are not in accord with what the Bible teaches us, right? They're not doing the will of the Father. And and so it's important for us to understand this, like, okay, Jesus is, he's laying out part of the conditions of of not being one of those who are knocking at the end of the, the day, the end of all days, but instead it's like, no, how can I enter into the kingdom of heaven? Well, I both call him Lord, right? That's an essential thing, that he must be my Lord, but also that I must do the will of his Father who is in heaven. Because if I either don't call him Lord, well, then I'll be out of the kingdom. But if I also call him Lord, but I don't do the will of the Father, well, what? I will also be out of the kingdom. So that's like a really important thing that it's not enough just to say that Jesus is your Savior. It's not enough just to say that. But then I have to actually act in accord with the commands of God. Now, how do I find out what is the will of the Father? Right? If, if that's, if that's going to make a big difference here, if that ultimately is what the oil is that, that makes all the difference in the world, then how do I find that out? Well, for that, we can look at the other time in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus uses this phrase, Lord of Lord, where he's preaching in a very similar way. Right? It's, it's a similar kind of thing. But he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So how do I know the will of the Father in heaven? Whatever Jesus says is the will of the Father in heaven, right? For me to enter into the kingdom, for me to be ready to greet the bridegroom when he comes, I must both call him Lord and do what he tells me. I must be obedient to him. Which check, check, So check this out. This is, this is really cool. So we heard, like I mentioned, our first reading uh, in the book of wisdom. So right after our reading from the book of wisdom, listen to what it says. The beginning of wisdom is the most sincere desire for instruction, right? So, so if I want to be wise, the, the way that I begin to grow in wisdom is what? Is to sincerely desire instruction. In other words, if I want to be wise, I must desire for somebody to teach me. And of course, if I want to be wise according to God's standards, then that means what? It means I must desire that God would instruct me, that he would teach me. But then it says this, and concern for instruction is love of wisdom, right? So in other words, God teaches me, and then when I become concerned about what he's teaching me, in other words, when I pay attention to it, that is going to lead to what? It's going to lead for, it's going to be, it's going to lead toward love for wisdom. And then what? Uh, Love of wisdom is the keeping of her laws. So, I, I, I desire to be instructed. Then I am instructed and I pay attention. This leads me to love wisdom. And because I love wisdom, this leads me to be obedient to the laws of wisdom, to be obedient to the laws of God. And then what? Heeding the laws of wisdom is assurance of immortality. Assurance of immortality. Just imagine this. Imagine facing death with confidence, facing death with a smile because you know that you're assured of immortality. How do I do that? I receive instruction from the Lord. I listen to him. I'm obedient to him as I love him. And as I'm obedient to him, I'm assured of immortality. And immortality does what? It brings one near to God. This this is incredible. So, in other words, what Jesus is getting at is, right, it's like, okay, well, I call him Lord, I must do what he tells me. I call him Lord, I must do the will of the Father. The Book of Wisdom says the same exact thing. I claim him as Lord, so he teaches me, he instructs me, so that then what, I can love him, I can be obedient to him, and he can grant me immortality. What an incredible thing. This is the oil that makes all the difference. And so this begs the question, Are you being obedient to Jesus and to his commands? Are you being obedient to every one of his commands? Now, I was thinking about this. These, These, even the foolish virgins, they began with a little bit of oil. They began with their lanterns lit, but they eventually ran out. So we could say in some ways, they were maybe being obedient to the will of God, but not in every way, and their obedience eventually ran out. And we can think about people in our lives. How many people do we know who say, well, no, like, of course I follow the commands of God. I just don't have to follow this one. Of course, like, of course, Jesus is my Lord, but I don't have to do everything that he says. Right, for those people, they are the foolish virgins who who have maybe a little bit of oil in their lamp at first, but that that oil is going to run out and they're going to end up knocking at the door and the Lord is going to end up saying to them, I don't know you. And maybe, maybe sometimes that's us. Maybe... But the point here is this, that, that the oil that makes all the difference is obedience to the commands of Jesus, which, which then, okay, it begs the question, am I being obedient? But even if I, if I say that I'm being obedient, how do you know? How do you know? Because something I know is that most Christians, which may or may not apply to you, but something I know is that most Christians spend hardly any time reading the Gospels, spend ha- hardly any time receiving the instruction that God gives through the word, and through his church. And so if I, if I want to say that I'm being obedient to Jesus, but I can't actually point to places where it's like, well, I know that he says it in here. Well then, how do you actually know that you're being obedient? Or I'm being obedient to Jesus, but, but I, don't, I, don't know, I don't really know what the church teaches about this. Well, how do you know that you're being obedient then? Right? so it's like, we have to seek obedience. We have to seek instruction in order that we may be obedient. And we got to start somewhere. And this this is something I was thinking about, just just real quick, and this will be the last thing. Is like, wouldn't it be great if, if the Lord gave us like a good starting point? Wouldn't it be great if the Lord Jesus, like, gave us, like, here's the first command that you should follow? Oh, wait, he does that actually. Someone walks up to him and asks him, Lord, which is the greatest of all the commandments? And he says this in Matthew chapter 22. He says, The greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And what's cool about this is that the gospel passage for next week is going to show us what it looks like for somebody who loves God with everything that they have, about how that person is so eager to expand the kingdom of God. And the gospel passage in two weeks is going to show us what it looks like for a person who loves his neighbor as himself, and how that person is seeking to share generously and mercifully and compassionately with his neighbor. So what's incredible is that the Lord is is, is ending his public ministry in the gospel of Matthew by laying out for us, look, if you want to enter my kingdom, you call me Lord, and you must do what I tell you. And by the way, here is what I tell you. Love God with everything that you have, and here's a parable about that. And love your neighbor as yourself, and here's a parable about that. This is incredible. What a beautiful opportunity the Lord provides for us over the course of this week and the next couple of weeks. A beautiful opportunity for us to reflect simply on our death, on the judgment that is coming to us, this great big test as the Lord lays out for us this perfect study guide for us to look at and to use for our own examination so that we can be prepared. So that we can be prepared ultimately to what? To seek wisdom from God, to be obedient to him, and being obedient to receive immortality and to draw close to him.